0: It's so good to be together, uh, to worship together, and as Pastor Denise shared, this is a really exciting, important season for our church. I really pray that each of you don't miss out on this opportunity, whether you're here in person or online. Um, I hope that sometime today, this week, you will go visit the website and spend some time with the Lord as to how he would be leading you to join in this season of fasting and prayer. Toward that end today talking about the subject of fasting. And we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. And this, this is Jesus speaking. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to address the subject of fasting in the following manner. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to wrap our hearts around your word. We want to hear your voice, speak to us as a church, speak to us as a people about this incredibly important subject. Lord, may this season of fasting and prayer that we're entering into, may it be a time of profound encounter with you, that as a church we would meet you in fresh and living and transformative ways. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I've shared on multiple occasions that I enjoy watching documentaries, and I actually have different categories of documentaries. I have documentaries that I stop everything, that I sit down. Ideally, the kids are asleep. I don't want to be interrupted. And some documentaries, to be honest, I don't even want my wife to be around. I don't want anybody to be around. I just want to focus. Others, I don't care. They're like candy. They're sugary some of them, the, the, the lower tier, I actually put one little ear pod and I'll do the dishes while I'm hearing it, watching it. So yesterday I was watching one of those sugary ones. I was uh, doing the dishes and I saw a documentary about Shaquille O'Neal. Exactly, right. You were like, oh yeah, Chris, you, you took your time. Watch a documentary about Shaquille O'Neal with all the things going on in the world. I told you it was a lower-tier documentary, so stop judging me. And so as I was watching this documentary, I was riveted. You say riveted? Yes, I was riveted by the immense generosity of this man. He, from the moment he became famous and signed one of the biggest contracts in NBA history, he has lived a profound life of generosity, uh, his father, uh, his stepfather actually, was a big military man, and he was instrumental in teaching Shaquille these really important, vital lessons. went from being inspired to deeply saddened very quickly. Because even though he was incredibly generous, all the acts of generosity had some degree of fanfare. So uh, when he would do these big Christmas drives, he would call them Shaka Claws. When he would do things um, on Halloween, um, he would. Everything had his name, everything had camera crews, everything had hype, and, and the way he even talked about the necessity of him doing these things, the motives he did them, I was like, man, such a good and profound thing. He wants to bring beauty to the world, yet there's this icky motive, until... There was a moment in the documentary where his former college coach, who sounded like a really godly man, actually said the thing that would move him the most was that very often, Shaquille would just go on his own to hospitals and go visit sick kids with no cameras there, just because he wanted to engage with kids. And As I was watching this, remembering and preparing for this sermon, and then really sitting with the words of Jesus, it became clear as to how, and it may not be clear to you yet, but actually what Jesus is doing here in these verses is kind of disorienting and shocking because he's correcting people for doing something right. They're doing something that they should do, which is fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that has been in the Scriptures from very early on. It is a practice that was well established in the culture of Judaism, and it is not a new phenomenon for Christians to engage in it. And yet Jesus in this moment is doing something that he actually he did many times, and we would do well to pay attention to what he's doing, which is that Jesus often corrected people that did the right things for the wrong reasons. And so he's, he's bringing correction here And in that vein, I think it's important for us to notice this idea that repentance, from the standpoint of Jesus, it's not just necessary for the wrongs we do, for the sins we commit, but it's also necessary for the right things that we do, especially if we're doing it for false motives. I don't know if you're familiar with this passage, but there's a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, Where God says, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. I know it's early in the morning, and you may not want to know what filthy rags means. I'll give you the two most popular interpretations. Some are evenly split. Some commentators say that filthy rags were the rags that were applied to the bodies of men and women that had leprosy. That we're often in a pile of filthy rags. So God says that our righteous deeds, whenever you and I try to behave righteously in order to gain his favor, whenever you and I try to act in a certain way, spiritually do the right thing for the wrong reasons, often to earn God's favor, he says that to me is the equivalent of filthy rags. The other popular commentaries say that filthy rags could also be the rags that were used by women during their time of the month. Good morning, Hope Astoria. Those two images are quite disturbing, but let it disturb us that God has no desire to receive righteous deeds that are done for the wrong motives. Because whether you're Whether you've heard this before or not, it's a helpful reminder to our system to hear that righteous deeds don't save us. You and I doing right things, things that God even instructs us to do, those things do not save us. And that actually is profound good news to know that your salvation and mine does not rest on your good deeds or mine. In fact, God says in Isaiah, as we just referenced, it's filthy rags to think that you and I could earn our place at God's table. And so Jesus at this moment, he's correcting. He refers to the hypocrites, which at that time he would often refer to the religious leaders that were very uh, spiritual, that applied a lot of God's words, but did it in ways that were clearly off-center. They would often fast in such a way to announce their piety. They wanted everyone to know that they were spiritual. They wanted everyone to know that they were doing the right thing, even though they were doing it for the wrong motive. In this church, we talk a lot about doing the right thing. We talk about justice. We talk about mercy. We talk about prayer. We talk about generosity. None of those things save us. Many of you gave toward extending hope. Please, let's all be clear, none of that saves us. Many of us will be invited into acts of justice uh, in, in, the year, in the months to come as we dive into various ways for us to walk out. our None of that saves us. Jesus is correcting spiritual, religious behavior, proper behavior, because it was done from a false motive. And so when it comes to trusting In the radical salvation that Jesus brings, it means that we have to acknowledge not only the sin we commit, but we also have to acknowledge our inability to save ourselves through good behavior. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible relief to know that my salvation doesn't rest on my good behavior. Because as faithful as I'm trying to live, I have moments Where I veer off, and if my salvation rested on my unceasing, unwavering good behavior, then it would be in jeopardy multiple times a day. Can I get an amen? But notice something, how Jesus begins this. He doesn't just go for the jugular and begin to address the hypocrites for how they fasted and did the right thing for the wrong motives. The very first words are striking, because Jesus says this, When you fast. When you fast. Could you say that with me? When you fast. See, Jesus is, obviously as we looked at this text, he's addressing the misuse of fasting, missing the point of fasting. But notice how he does it. He does it under the context or the assumption that you and I would fast. He didn't say if you fast. He didn't say if you're considering it, if it's a convenient option for you, if it fits in your life rhythms. He didn't he didn't start there. He actually started with the assumption that you and I will be people that fast. That fasting will be part of our life. That it will be part of our spiritual rhythms. That some way, shape, or form that we will be engaged in the spiritual discipline of fasting. And so even as we're coming to the 21-day fast, I think it's important to have that posture of not if, but when. Not if, but how. Obviously, let the Lord determine the how, but I think if we come into the, the, the discernment as if this is a, like a big option or something to weigh out, and that we think it's even possible that Jesus would not ever have that expectation of us, then clearly we're missing something. He has an expectation that his followers would engage in the spiritual discipline of fasting as he would lead. But let's be clear, he expects us. So how we should fast, not if, was his focus And why that's important is because I think in our day and age, among followers of Jesus, unlike in Jesus' day and age, we not only have to talk about fasting the proper way, but I think we find ourselves in a moment where we actually have to make the case why we should fast. Because fasting is often not a discipline that is regularly adhered to by followers of Jesus. So, toward that end... Let's get to it. You may be saying, okay, Jesus is saying when you fast, he has an expectation that followers of him would fast. So then what is fasting and what are spiritual disciplines? We're in this sermon series called Intentional Relationship where we're looking at spiritual disciplines. We're looking at the idea of having a relationship with God cannot be done without intention. There has to be intentionality. There has to be purpose and discipline. So what is fasting? What are spiritual disciplines? Let's just break this down. Fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, can you fast other ways? Yes. But the primary scriptural means of fasting, there was always some type of abstaining from food. In our, in our day and age, in our times, perhaps we're more familiar with a hunger strike. Anybody ever heard of a hunger strike? A hunger strike is vastly different than a fast, because a hunger strike, the purpose is to gain political power or attract attention to a good cause. Or perhaps you've heard of intermittent fasting and all these different ways that people are engaging in fasting. It's actually quite phenomenal to consider that the world is obsessed with fasting, the spiritual discipline. But the purpose of that is health dieting, abstaining from food for physical purposes. Fasting can accomplish great health results. And fasting can be used often for good purposes to draw attention. I knew uh, of several pastors that fasted and prayed uh, for a very long period of time in order to get the attention of the Chicago Police Department because murders were rampant. And they went and fasted and prayed physically present in some of the worst neighborhoods of Chicago in order to address this issue. As good and as meaningful as that was, the primary purpose of fasting in Scripture are none of those things. It is to abstain from food for spiritual purposes. And now fasting is considered to be a spiritual discipline, which means that it's designed to be practiced regularly. It is to be a regular part of our life. Now, what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are practices that we regularly engage in as Christians as a means to focus our hearts on Christ and as tools that help us grow in our faith. Spiritual disciplines help us to focus on Christ. They are not Christ unto themselves. The goal of fasting and calling us to fast is actually not fasting in and of itself. Fasting is an on-ramp. Fasting is a means to an end, and that end is Jesus. Reading Scripture is a means to an end, and that end is Jesus. Prayer is a means to an end, and that end is Jesus. I love this quote by Craig Dykstra where he talks about spiritual disciplines. He says, Practices are the nuclear reactors of the Christian faith, arenas where the gospel and human life come together in energizing, even explosive ways. Practices create openings in our lives where the grace and presence of God may be made known to us. You see, spiritual disciplines don't transform us. What they do is they help to create openings in our lives. So that we could experience the transformative grace of God. How many know that popular song from the show Hamilton? I wanna be in the room where it happens. Uh, people have been singing that for, for a while um, in various, various situations. Fasting, what it really does, it just puts you in the room where it happens, it puts you in a position to experience the presence of God, to focus on Christ. Fasting in and of itself does not transform us, does not change us. And so as we're even inviting you to fast and pray, let's be clear on what we are not saying. Fasting and prayer unto itself will not transform you and I. In fact, unto itself, it has the possibility of doing what Jesus was correcting, which is it has the possibility of puffing us up, making us feel more pious, drawing attention unto ourselves. But fasting and prayer, as Jesus instructs us, focusing as this practice that puts us in a place where we can experience the transforming presence of God, that kind of fasting and prayer God uses to change us. But let, I think it's important to strike a balance, to address a need for balance in this big conversation of spiritual disciplines. And I, hopefully this will be clear What I mean by striking a balance. In my opinion, there there is a prevalence of a shallow understanding of grace in our culture as Christians, uh, Christians uh, in general, where we have a very thin understanding of grace, so much so that we go to extremes. And one extreme of a thin understanding of grace is that We don't want to do anything that remotely comes close to earning our place at God's table, so we end up doing nothing. See, we don't want to do anything that would even come close to works or trying to earn God's love and favor, but we go to the extreme of not only do I not want to try to earn God's love, but then we end up settling to do nothing. And I think there's like a translation problem because when we here in our day and age You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. In our time, we interpret, don't do anything in order to receive God's love. And actually, that's a shallow understanding of grace. And the result of that shallow understanding of grace is there's so many spiritual disciplines that get left on the shelf. It's tragic to me that so many of God's people can be coming to church for years and years and years and have not learned to go to the living water themselves, where you have not had the experience of opening the Scriptures yourself and hearing Jesus speak to you, or you have not had the experience of hearing the voice of God as we're, as we're creating this class to teach you how to personally hear the Spirit, apply Scripture to your life and your heart, or for those that have not experienced the power of fasting, as a spiritual discipline to help you focus on God. So many of these spiritual disciplines get left on the shelf. But we're hoping to course correct that in this season. I think spiritual disciplines or a better understanding of grace with respect to spiritual disciplines can be understood through the lens of farming. Now you and I—how many people grew up on a farm? I, I you see, I, I've learned to not assume that no one, even in New York, has not grown up on a farm or near a farm. I did not, however, as I've been sensitive to that reality. Almost every time I've asked that question, somebody raises their hands. For us, it's a very distant reality. We go to the supermarket, and our food is there. We are very disconnected from the process of a farmer having to till ground and sow seed and water the ground and maintain this incredibly labor intense operation in order to see food grow. But the farmer understands their limited role in that big thing that happens. They know they can plow the field, they know they can sow seed, And in this situation, they know they could even water uh, through various means, large pieces of land. But what they know they can't do, they can't cause that seed to grow. That is completely out of their hands. When it comes to spiritual disciplines, it's kind of like a farmer. You are plowing the ground. You are sowing the seed. You are watering it, but you very clearly know there's no transformation. Nothing grows until God gets involved. Why we're inviting you into this space is because we want you to create more margin in your life for the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in you. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Why do I say all that? Because if you truly engage in this season of fasting, let me be very clear, pop the bubble now, it will not be pleasant. It will not be fun at times. It will be difficult. You will want to jettison this multiple times because it is a dying to self. It is, it is excruciating at times to fast, And because, as we'll get into it, one of the reasons why fasting, why we're pushing this invitation to our church is because fasting, more than any other discipline, reveals the things that control us. Why fasting is difficult is because as you and I engage in it, our hearts are going to be revealed, specifically the things that control us. So we're fasting from food, but that's not the only thing that's going to be revealed in terms of having a potential control over our life. If we're honest, comfort controls us. Numbing and distractive habits control us. I was listening to this interesting podcast about dopamine addiction and the idea of in this day and age, right now in this moment of time, So many people are experiencing increased anxiety and depression because the normal things they would gravitate toward getting another dopamine hit are not as accessible. Things aren't fun the way they used to be. And so now people are struggling deeply. And so if we're honest, there's things that we go to constantly seeking stimulus or pleasure. Uh, If we're honest, sexual desire controls us. Reputation controls us. The, need for, the desire for more controls us. Fasting exposes the true masters in our lives. See, when we abstain from food, what inevitably happens is that what we rely on for sustenance in other areas of our lives will become clear. Similar to extending hope, I've looked forward to this season, but I'm a little low-key dreading it because I know I'm going to have to face things that in the busyness of life I've not had to face. Now as we shut things down, so to speak, create margin in our life through fasting, whatever ways Jesus leads you to abstain, whether it's the TV, social media, the time that we would give to these things now that we can give toward prayer and seeking God, there's going to be some stuff that we will have to face in that space. But the good news is, whenever Jesus reveals our hearts, he does not reveal it to shame us. He reveals it to heal us. Whatever comes up for us during this season, do not be discouraged as to, man, how could God love me? with this at my heart, actually be encouraged. Realize God knew that that was in your heart the whole time. And has he treated you any differently? He knows the depths of our hearts and yet he still loves us. My prayer is that during this season of fasting that you and I would have profound encounters with Jesus where things that control our lives would be revealed and that we would acknowledge those things as we humble ourselves before the presence of Jesus, asking him and him alone to be Lord over us. This is a season of profound encounter if we allow the living God to meet us through the spiritual discipline. As we close, as the worship team comes forward, this week, just to give you some pastoral advice, in addition to going on the website, reading all the resources and praying and trying to assess uh, what kind of fasting Jesus would be inviting you into, would encourage you to uh, begin to prepare your body for it. Um, some, some practical tools, if you're new to fasting, one way to break into it is to start a one-day fast after lunch. And that one-day fast begins, and you'll break it the next day during dinner. You're easing your body into it. There's some sleep there that happens in between And again, the focus is not to not eat. The focus is to not eat for us to be with Jesus. And so begin to think of in your rhythms of life how you might increase your capacity to be with Jesus. One way is the prayer calendar, simple but just accessible way. But think of other things that you could do. What could you do on your day off where you have a bit more margin just to be with Jesus? Uh, To be clear, it's 21 days of fasting and prayer. If you think that we're inviting everyone to fast and pray for 21 days, that's not our invitation. Our invitation is for 21 days, engage in fasting and prayer as the Lord empowers you to do so. And so if he tells you to do one day, if he tells you to do three days, if he tells you to do a meal, whatever he tells you to do. But for the next 21 days, starting next Sunday, could we consider these high and holy times? where we set this time apart just to be with Jesus, to increase our intimacy with him. Could I invite us to stand? Lord Jesus, as we come to you this day and as we prepare this week, to listen to your voice, to hear how you might lead us in this season of fasting and prayer. Lord, we're so grateful that your love is not dependent on our obedience. Lord, that you're not gonna love us more if we fast. Your love is constant, but because that love is so radiant and powerful, And because your grace is not cheap, we receive the invitation to plow our hearts, to plant the seeds in our souls and to allow you to bring growth as you see fit. Meet us, transform us as only you can. Let's respond in prayer at this time not only to seek God even now about fasting and prayer, but as we respond, could you begin to ask the Lord to begin to soften your heart and prepare you for an encounter with Him during these days of fasting and prayer. Perhaps you could pray and begin to ask God for the revelation of your heart, times where you have done the right thing for the wrong motive. Perhaps you can begin to seek God and ask Him, where have I practiced the righteousness of the Pharisees where I've tried to earn my place at God's table. Let's come to him now. And during this time, the prayer team will be to my left and your right in the back. At any moment during this time of prayer, you can get out of your seat and receive prayer for anything that you're going through, anything the message might have stirred up. Let's seek God together.